Today we'd like to unpack the notion of redemptive business and a marketplace calling. And to do that, we've called on Rory Dyer. Rory is the lead pastor at 3CI, a thriving church in Pretoria, but he also understands business because he runs one. Rory is the owner and CEO of the Montrose Shell Ultra City in Harry Smith. I'm sure many of our Gauteng viewers know it well from all their annual pilgrimages to KZN's beaches. So Rory, great to have you with us today. Well, I just want to say God bless Zawani. It is an amazing privilege to be here. It's incredible to be able to represent this uh, organization and to be able to start with the launch of it. I'm pretty much a glorified hamburger salesman that sells some petrol and preaches the gospel. But I'm here and my qualification, like every one of your qualifications, is Christ. And so we find ourselves in crisis, in chaos, in COVID, in Christ. And so actually we're not concerned about South Africa or about Africa. We are in Christ. And every one of the speakers that I look at, many are highly qualified. Some are black, some are white, some are young, some are old, some are educated, some are not. But our qualification is Christ. Our number one address in our lives is Christ. Not black, not white, not educated. Our qualification is Christ. And so actually I represent Christ here today as we speak about all these different things. You know, friends, the community of Jesus came under unbelievable pressure over and over again. They were attacked by the Babylonian Empire. They were attacked by the Persian Empire. They were attacked by the Roman Empire. And every one of those empires is gone now, and the church and the kingdom of God still exists. We shouldn't worry about whether our president allows us to meet or not meet about how many can meet. You can't kill the church. It's designed by God. It's ordained by God, and it's sustained by God. And Zawani is not a man-made idea. It is birthed in the heart of God before any one of the men and women running it were even born. Zawani existed in the heart of God. And so what I want to do, friends, I want to share four things today. I want to share what it means to be a son, what it means to be a steward, what story we find ourselves in, and the scriptures that hold us. Because there are so many theories going around, we have to position our businesses and our churches by the scriptures. The first one is my status as a son. Now, it doesn't matter which way you read the Bible. We all have different ways. But the way I read the Bible is as a son. In Luke chapter 3, it says this. It says, Adam was the son of God. So the first way that God wanted to present himself to the world was as a father. And Adam messed that up. And so God gives him a second chance. He says to Israel, Israel, you are my firstborn son. And Israel messes that up. And so he gives them another chance. He says, Solomon, you are my son. And Solomon messes that up. And then God closes the Old Testament with this. I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. Then we have 400 years of silence. And we have that silence broken like this. There is a voice from heaven. If you can say with me, friends, a voice from heaven. One of the greatest problems in our world today is we're listening to too many earthly voices. There is a voice from heaven that says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So I see the scriptures through the lens of a son relating to the father, and Jesus primarily came to show us what the father is like. The destination of Christianity is not heaven. The destination of Christianity is not an accountant. The destination of Christianity is not an economist. It doesn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the only 
only way to the accountant is through me. It says the only way to the Father is through me. And so Jesus came to show us what the Father was like. If we understand the Father, we understand that a black sister or an uneducated person gets exactly the same privilege as anybody who is in Christ. Exactly the same privilege. And so we shouldn't be having these gender debates. We should actually get to the Father so that we can find an equality that goes across every single barrier that human beings put in place. So I like to see the, 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 my status as a son and the status, I believe that status will change our nation. South Africa, people will say, has got an economic problem. We have got an injustice problem around racism. I tell you what South Africa's number one problem and into Africa is that we have got systemic evil, systemic evil that has broken apart families. In our nation, racism stuck people into mines. And we have two generations of South Africans who grew up without their fathers and two generations of South Africans that were born out of wedlock. We have got a major father problem in this nation, friends. And so we have to redeem through I'm a preacher in my church and in my business. I have to redeem the role of a father, which is to create opportunity, education, care, discipline, inheritance, and all those things. Mothers haven't given up their role. They never, ever, ever walked away from their responsibility. Fathers have. And so we have thousands or millions of orphans throughout this nation and through the nations of Africa that need some form of an inheritance and something to underpin them. It doesn't matter which way you read uh, a theology. You might read it through the eyes of a reformed preacher. And then there's uh, the creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. So some of you will be looking at how to restore business principles into this world, how to restore society, how to restore injustice, how to restore racial inequality. And that's one of the ways we read the scriptures. Our job is to restore. If you look at the book of, of Genesis, it starts in a garden, and that's God's amazing design. Man wants to be autonomous, wants to rule his own life. And we see that the book of Genesis, if you read Genesis, the very last word of Genesis, it says they buried him in a coffin in Egypt. So it starts in a garden and ends in a coffin. And friends, part of our responsibility is to bring life. So Jesus comes into the world and he just brings life. Wherever there are coffins, he pulls things out of the coffins. And so part of your business, man, some of you have got the ability to take a dead business and speak resurrection life into it. You go into a situation, a mine is closed down, God has given you resurrection power, you give your gift to the mine and the mine starts to live. And so on this side, you've got a man like me who uses my business to introduce people to the Father. We've got some people on this panel that will use their business acumen to redeem and to restore. We have others who have got resurrection power. And your job is to bring the life of God. And like Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, stand up. We've got to speak to economies. We've got to speak to systems. And we've got to make them alive again. The fourth area, friends, that we see in, in Scripture is the issue of the kingdom. And so God gave man authority to rule over the garden. He wanted to be self-autonomous. He took the authority too far, and he wanted to be his own boss, and we saw all hell break loose. And so what we have is just destructive systems of man-implemented leadership all over the earth, and we have to teach people how to rule and reign. And so Jesus, when he speaks in the Gospels, uses three things the most. He uses the kingdom. The most thing he speaks about is the kingdom. The second thing he speaks about is the father. And the third thing he speaks about is money. And so as business people and as Christians in Christ, we have to have a thorough knowledge of how the kingdom of God works, how the relationship between a son and a father works. And when I say son, I'm not being gender insensitive. I'm being culturally radical. 
Because in most countries, friends, women don't get equal rights. When Jesus said you are the son of God, he was not undermining your gender. He was being culturally radical to say, even if culture don't give you an inheritance, I will give you the same inheritance as the firstborn son. So to be called sons of God is like me being called the bride of Christ. It is a radical statement against a system that denies people equal opportunities. And so we learn how to reign and we learn how to, to rule. And we go through the book of Genesis and then we see the kings and the judges starting to come. And eventually we see David come onto the throne and we see Jesus come onto the throne with a different kind of leadership, servant-hearted leadership, getting underneath organizations, pinning them up on the bottom, not looking for the, for the naming rights, not looking for fame, walking away from popularity. We're looking about kingdom rule. So friends, we have, we have to find our status theologically before Ziwani can go and take over the nations of the world and bless the nations of the world. We've got to say part of it is sonship. We have to teach people a relational model where they get linked to the Father in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, friends, we art on earth. And there's so many problems on earth and there's so much stuff on earth and there's so many perspectives and histories and hurts on earth. We have to have access to our Father in heaven, understand our identity on earth. You see, I inherited my businesses. They're 50-year-old businesses. They were started by my father. I drive into those businesses and I have authority there because I carry my dad's surname. I continue to run them. I continue to exercise change. I want to grow them. We continue to sacrifice. We build. We want to improve them. But the reality is I inherited them. And friends, it's exactly the same as a Christian earth. I've inherited from my Father in heaven an authority. As the Queen of England said, I find myself in the frail female flesh, but I carry inside of my body the blood of a king. And it doesn't matter what frailty we find ourselves in, we carry the blood of a king. And so whether we have the identity of son and our job is to bring a relational restoration, whether we have the idea of restoration and redemption and we have to systematically change societies, whether we have the ability to resurrect that which is dead and speak to the graves of Lazarus and raise up situations and finances and economies, some of you have got that gift, or whether it's to bring kingdom rule and government into situations, we must exercise that, friends, with an underpinning of theology. We have to make sure, we know we've got guys like Wilberforce that take on evil systems. We have to make sure, because the Bible is written to Christians, it's not written to non-Christians. So you have to make sure that we are not judging ungodly men for ungodly practices. When Paul speaks to the church about sexuality, he says, who are we to judge those outside the church? Friends, there's a lot of judgment of the church on people's behavioral patterns, but they don't have our belief system. And so we have to take our belief system, put it into practice in churches, in governments, in businesses, and build cities upon a hill which people will look to and say, I want some of that. The second thing, friends, that I would like to speak about is stewardship. Not only am I a son of God, and I can operate with the authority that comes with being a son of God on this earth, but I'm also a steward. I'm a son of Abraham. And Abraham in Genesis 14 gets blessed by Melchizedek, a priest of Salem, and he says this, Abraham, be blessed by God most high, creator, possessor, owner of heaven and earth. And at that moment, Abraham is a very rich man, has an understanding that he doesn't own it. He's just the steward of it. 
And friends, unless we understand that I don't own the church that I lead, I don't own the business that I lead, I'm just the steward of it. I believe that we are stewards of five things. Our time, our talents, our treasures, our opportunities, and our relationships. I have a relational gift. The poor guy who sits next to me on an airplane will either become my best friend for the rest of my life, or I'll put him into a business deal, or I'll do something, tell him about Jesus and lead him to Christ. But that's one of the gifts I have. Every one of us get given those things. Time, talents, treasures, relationships, and opportunities. Friends, business is called business because of busyness. Whenever I see businessmen, I ask them how they're doing. They say, I'm busy, I'm rushed, I'm running around, I'm under pressure. But not when I see Jesus. Jesus never runs. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus doesn't run once. And so our time belongs to God. It says this in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went to a solitary place, left the house, and prayed. The disciples came to him and said, everybody is looking for you. That's what happens with business people. Everybody is looking for you. Jesus says, good, let's go somewhere else for that's why I've come. He walks away from the important and the urgent because he knows what actually is eternal. He knows what God has called him to. Gentlemen and ladies, we have got five things. Time, talent, treasures, opportunities, and relationships. We don't own them. They belong to God. And every day we must come before God because if we don't, the enemy will steal those things from us and rob us of our effectiveness. When you read Luke chapter 19, and Jesus says to his disciples, go into town and you'll find a donkey there, untie the donkey. I'm not a Greek scholar, friends, but it says, the Lord says to them, go into town and when you see the donkey, untie it and bring it here. And when the owners ask you, what are you doing? Tell them the Lord needs it. Now, friends, in the Greek, that word Lord and owner is exactly the same word. It's just different in the English Bible. One's got a capital letter and one's got a small letter. So you might all say it like this. When the Lord with a capital letter asks the Lord with a small letter, why are you doing it? Tell them the Lord with a capital letter needs it. You can do it the other way around. When the owner, the big O, asks the little O, why are you untying the donkey? Say because the big O needs it. Friends, my business, which I inherited from my dad, is just a donkey which Jesus is going to use to ride in to Jerusalem and people will shout Hosanna and the staff that work for me will see the Father. They will get an opportunity. They'll be underpinned by grace. And we don't worship the donkey. We don't say, well done, Rory. We don't say, well done, Zawani. We don't say, well done, Murgon. We don't say, well done. We just say, Jesus, please use this donkey to ride into town. We don't worship the donkey. It is just the stewardship that I have right now. Friends, I don't know about you and I don't know how you work, but... I was reading the Message Bible as we went into lockdown. My business went into lockdown for four months. I employed 230 people. It went into four months. And the first day of lockdown, I opened up the Message Bible, Isaiah chapter 61. It says this, I, the Lord, am fair, so you must pay your salaries in full on time. And so I phoned my man and I said, we are paying our salaries in full on time. I said, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to the world. But if God speaks, it does make sense. And so I trust I treated every one of my staff like a son and daughter in the house of a father that felt safe that despite the crisis that our country is going through, there's a higher power that controls this business. And I spoke yesterday in Stellenbosch to my accountants that actually we had a very profitable year despite not trading for four months and paying full salaries. Friends, we are stewards. We don't have to keep them going. It belongs to God. Untie your donkeys and let the owner, the true owner, ride them into town. 
We have, we have a man on the Zoom call. He's not in our church. We, have bu- we built a big building. We happened to break ground on the 21st of January last year. We didn't know about COVID. We had to raise a lot of money. And in the middle of December, we ran out of money. We had 600,000 rand left. We ran out of money. We had to pay 8 million rand by the end of the following week. And we couldn't raise any money anyway. I, tra- I went to my business to get my bankers to lend money to the church. We tried all sorts of things. And one of our elders said, why don't you give the money away? I thought, wow, I didn't think about that. We need money. He said, well, let's give the 600,000 rand away and let's just trust God. So you have to hear God. We pray together. I trust him. So as an eldership, we gave the 600,000 rand to an Afrikaans church in Montana and Pretoria that we have no relationship with other than they trusting God to build a building. And I went on holiday. And the guy said, but what are you going? I said, I'm going on holiday. I said, whether I go to jail from holiday or whether I go to jail from home makes no difference. We can't pay the money. But we're part of God and we're trusting Him and we're praying to Him and He owns the church. It was His idea, not my idea. I don't have to raise money for buildings. I don't have to raise money for Zawani. It's God's idea. He will get the people. And five days later, a woman driving in a polo golf drove into our church with her mask on. She never took her mask off. She said, don't ask me who I am. Don't ask me where I've come from. But God told me that you need money. And she dropped six million rands worth of gold coins at our reception desk. Six million rands worth of gold coins at our reception desk. And she got in her car and she drove away. A man on the Zoom call has got a vehicle, a donkey, a foundation that raises money for education in the kingdom. And he came to one of our elders who's deaf. And he said to him, if you ride a bicycle race and you get sponsored, then the money that you raise can go to your church building project. He's got bad ears but good legs. He had six weeks to train for a 1,150-kilometer bicycle race, one-stage race. And he tra- I said, can you do it? He said, my legs are strong, Raw, Trust me. I said, no, we trust you wholeheartedly. And this foundation ga- uncarded their donkey so that he could use his strong legs to ride a race. And he raised 2 million rand. Friends, we had 600,000 rand. We gave it away. We had zero in our bank accounts. And 10 days later, we paid 8 million rand cash because God is perfectly in charge of building the churches. We are just stewards of His church and our businesses and all the things that are going around us. Stop worrying South Africa. Stop worrying Africa. Jesus is in control. He's perfectly in control. He will use us black and white and young and old and rich and poor and educated and uneducated and married and single and divorced. He's going to use every one of us to take His gospel to the ends of the earth. We are stewards, and we are sons, and we are restorers, and we are resurrectors, and we are reigners. Friends, we we have to know that that our story fits into a bigger story, and I like the book of Acts. Our businesses and our churches have got to fit into the book of Acts. It starts with Jesus and the kingdom. For 40 days, he preaches about Jesus and the kingdom, and the last verse of the book of Acts is Jesus and the kingdom. And so it's all about Jesus and the kingdom. It's not about, I won't even tell you the name of my church. It's not about my church. It's about Jesus and the kingdom and Jesus and the kingdom. And we must understand that everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus and the kingdom. Don't say to people, raise up a David generation who will kill Goliath. David is Jesus. He killed Goliath. I am the chicken who's sitting in the army crying and shaking with fear. I put my faith in David, the Christ who kills Goliath. We don't have to go and kill Goliath in Africa. We just have to trust Jesus and the kingdom and Jesus and the kingdom. 
I love the story of Boaz and Ruth. I always think I'm Boaz. I'm like the main dude who stands up straight and I help people that are broken. I'm Ruth. I'm the expat. I'm the one who doesn't have citizenship. I am the economically impoverished. I am the spiritually impoverished. I am the alien and stranger who finds myself in the fields of Boaz. And Boaz restores me, gets me to stand up straight. And from that union becomes a birthright that eventually gives birth to the king. Friends, we are aliens and orphans and strangers. And when we come into the field of Christ, he restores us. And that restoration with intimacy with Christ creates a seed that starts to change the nations of the world. It says this at the end of the book of Ruth. She was better than seven sons. Don't think you're the Messiah. Just have intimacy with the Messiah that you become better than seven sons. Imagine a farm in Dal takes a Zimbabwean refugee lady and restores her. She becomes better than seven sons and becomes part of the history of the kingdom of God accessing into that continent of Africa. It's a remarkable story. And so we find ourselves in Acts and every time I go through a church crisis or every time I go through a business crisis, I start reading the book of Acts, Jesus and the kingdom. Then I see generosity. Then I see healing. I read 8, 9, and 10. There's an Ethiopian eunuch, a black man. He's trying to understand God. He can't reproduce. He's feeling insecure and inadequate. He's reading Isaiah 53. Philip meets him and says, this, this scripture, Isaiah 53, who's he talking about? Me or himself or someone else? He says, starting with that scripture, and he reads, reads, reads to Isaiah 56. It says, I will give the eunuch a name greater than sons and daughter. And all of a sudden, the eunuch understands that he fits into the story, and he comes alive and he gets baptized. In Acts chapter 9, friends, there's a Jewish rabbi called Paul who gets stopped dead in his tracks. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Stops him, turns him around, gets him saved. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a military man, offering sacrifices to God, gets touched and turned around. And whenever I'm in trouble, I think if God can save an Ethiopian eunuch and a Jewish rabbi and a military man in three chapters, then he can do anything for my business in COVID, in crisis, in chaos, in Christ. I love Acts chapter 12. It says James was dead, Peter was in prison, and Herod was on the throne. And then it says in Acts 12 verse 5, but the church prayed. And the end of the chapter says this, Peter was free, Herod was dead, and the word of God was on the throne. It just happens like this. It just turns like this. Friends, there's a, there's, Paul has a dream about a man in Macedonia begging, come and help me. And when he gets there, there's a businesswoman called Lydia. Businesswoman called Lydia. Maybe your name is Lydia, ma'am. Maybe your name is Anna. I don't know what your name is, ma'am, but just say yes to God. Because Paul goes across there, and instead of meeting a man, he meets a businesswoman who deals in purple cloth, and she opens her home. And today we read the book of Philippians because of the blessing of one businesswoman. What about Priscilla and Aquila? We fit into a story, a big story, friends. My, I happen to fit in Harry Smith between Joburg and Durban. You're sitting here in Cape Town, between Cape Town and Cairo. And between Cape Town and Cairo, there are men, there are women, there are houses, there are businesses, there are opportunities, there are resources, there's time, there's talents, there's treasures, whatever it is, it's standing. Just say yes to God. Just lift that up and say, yes, God. Use my business, Lord. Use my church, Lord. Use my gold, Lord. Use my money. Do whatever you want, Lord God. But it's all for you, Jesus. And then finally, friends, I think I've got uh, seven minutes, four minutes, but there it says seven, but don't worry, four. We have scriptures. 
We've got to build this thing by Scripture. I say this in, in, in John 15, it says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. The problem with business is we trust experience. God doesn't want us to trust experience. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to trust Him. I love Psalm 139. It's a psalm that I will use over and over again in my own life. It says, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, if I go to the far side of the sea, you're with me. Friends, we've got to know that God's idea is first. My business was not my idea, it was God's. My church was not my idea, it was God's. Zawani is not our idea, it's God's. And so when we get to the business, when we get to work, we say, good morning, Father, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How do I align with you? The second part, it says, it says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in my mother's womb. Every day ordained for me was written in your book before one of them came. Not only, friends, am I a genius, but you are a genius. Not only must I understand that I was meant to be alive in South Africa at this time, with this government, in this crisis, in this pandemic, I'm meant to be alive because I have a genius inside of me that has got the solution to this nation's problems. And so have you. I've got to open my eyes to every genius around me, sitting in this room, speaking on this forum, that inside of you is a genius to change the world. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. No one can tell you what you are and you're not. Only God can do that. Inside of there is genius to change lives. The third thing it says, I hate God's enemies. I hate God's enemies. I hate them. We must hate God's enemies and love God's friends. Hate discrimination. Hate greed. Hate guilt. Hate gossip. Hate it. And love humility and love peace and love reconciliation. And finally, it says, Search me, O God, and see if there's any offensive way inside of me and lead me in the life everlasting. Friends, I close with this story. I played A team rugby my whole life. My whole life. And under 15, I got dropped to the B team. And my dad watched every rugby match I ever played. But the day I played for the Bs, he was watching rugby in Johannesburg and I was playing in Natal. And I ran onto that B-team field for the first time in my life. And I heard these two words from the other side of the field. Go, Poike! He left Johannesburg. He drove 600 Ks. He stood on the side of my field and he shouted, Go, Poike! I want to stand, Zawani, on the side of every field of every African person in Nigeria, in Egypt, in South Africa, in Swaziland, in Lesotho. May Zawani stand on the side of every child that has been dropped. May we stand on the side of the field as sons, as stewards in the story of Acts and the scriptures of God and shout these two words, go boyki, go girly, go boyki, go girly. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.